ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and, into a, and to invite others to live it. Uh, before we get into today's topic, as always, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, things that you would like us to discuss, to talk about, to explain, please feel free to contact us. Two good ways to do that. Um, you can email us or you can tweet to us. The email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, that's ignition at sfcatholic.org. Or you can tweet to us at sfdiocese. Use the hashtag ignition. Again, sfdiocese, hashtag ignition. Uh, for any comments, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Hello, Father Dickinson. How are you today? Hello, Dr. Bergwald. I am very well. Uh, first, we're we're recording this on, um, I guess, Wednesday of the first week of Lent, so we're one week in, a, a few more to go. Good Lent so far, Father? Yes. Yep. Yep. The Lord has a way of surprising us, so uh, it's been a good Lent with, with its little surprises, but good nonetheless. Um. So, Father, we one of the, the the well, not Father. This is dear listener more than to Father. Uh, one, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, we we welcome and invite listener feedback, and oftentimes we will end up including or using uh, one of your ideas for an episode. So that's what we're doing today. One of our listeners um, had emailed in a, a few weeks ago an idea for a topic, and Father and I thought that uh, this would be a great. Uh, great episode in which to discuss it, and that the the question really it, it begins with um, the the reality, the fact that there are early church writings that are not included in the New Testament. Father, I think that when a lot of people think about writings of Christianity, we first and rightly think of the Bible. Uh, is, would you say has that been your experience as well? Yes. Yeah. So. People think of the Bible, um, but there's more. There are more writings that are Christian writings than just uh, the sacred scriptures, and among them are, are, are the writings of what we come have come to call the early church fathers. Um, so, Father, we have the Bible, and, and you're often uh, often um, uh, cast. No, 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 no. I don't. You're being mean to me, basically, for not <laughs> knowing the Bible well enough. <laughs> uh, Father is the Bible answer man on this podcast and radio show. Uh, we've got the Bible. Isn't that enough? Why, why do we need the writings? Need to read the writings of non-biblical text? Why do we need to read non-biblical texts? Non-biblical writings? Well, you you don't need to, but it's it's. I mean, it's not necessary. I guess if you want to use that in the Aristotelian sense of the term, right? Yep. Yep. But uh, um, it's profitable. It's 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 good for you. It's just um, good to see what uh, the first followers of Jesus thought about their own life, their own self reflections, their own, um, and not even just self reflections as in like these are, these are my musings of a. Uh, um, of uh, of a depressed midlife crisis, <laughs> um, but no, that the, these are their 
because sometimes these are very like stirring uh, conversations that they're writing as they're going to their death. Right. You yes. Know? And you rarely see things so clearly as when you're going to your death. Exactly. Yeah. And I think going back to the first point you made, it's so helpful for us to see. I mean, we have through these writings, because some of them um, go back to the, the first century itself. Some of them probably were written even before some of the New Testament documents were written. I'm thinking specifically of, of the final book of the New Testament, uh, St. John's Revelation. Revelation was probably written in the final decade of the first century. We have some writings from uh, early Christians that were written also in that century, and some even that were or that decade, some though that are, were also written even before then. So we get a glimpse, it helps us give, sort of fill in the gaps, get a clear picture of what the 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 early generations of Christians we're talking about what the second third fourth generation of Christians how they lived and how they they practiced their faith how they lived out the Christian faith that we read about in the New Testament and you know there's a certain uh, aspect of how um, these are Christians who were taught by Saint John who were taught by Saint Paul that's what we're talking about by second third generation Christians um, and so that's what's exciting to see what did they hold to what did they hold fast to um, what was important to them and that's and for many people who maybe have questions about their Catholic faith or even just about their Christian faith in general they find a lot of clarity by going to the fathers of the church right because they can help because these were we're, we're talking literally in some cases about the disciples as you said of St John and of St Paul we can we can maybe sometimes we have questions well what did what did St John mean when he wrote X or what did St Paul mean when he wrote Y uh, by reading these early early documents these early writings uh, they can oftentimes shed light on those questions help us to understand better uh, what what the New Testament itself might mean, even though, and to be clear here, even though these writings themselves are not inspired the way that sacred tradition or sacred scripture is. Correct, correct. These are just uh, uh, the words of anyone else with no guarantee of the Holy Spirit of inerrancy or anything like that. And in fact, the readings of the Church Fathers should be judged uh, by the scriptures, they should be judged by the authoritative teachings of the church. Exactly. Yeah, we we and we'll get into the, some of that a little bit uh, more uh, shortly. But but the the we hold scripture up above the writings of the fathers, even though the fathers are helpful to us to illuminate what scripture itself means. Right. So uh, maybe just by way, Father of introducing the fathers um what does it mean to be we, we use this term church father uh what, what does it mean why do we use that term well it's it's an honorific title this is an official title there's no official listing in the vatican or someplace like that of the church fathers quote unquote uh but it's more of a in term of endearment and respect uh for them uh because of what they have done because and, and did you think about the word father? Somebody who um, helps not, not literally gives birth—that's what mom does—but helps generate new life. And and these early leaders in the church helped generate the new life of Christianity. They didn't bring it forth. I mean, obviously Christ was the founder, and we have the apostles and so on. But these these men helped spread and grow Christianity around uh, well the civilized world uh, in the early centuries. And so, I mean, and these are um, some relative uh, giants of the early church. So, 
you know, we found a lot of these texts via archaeological digs, if I'm not mistaken. But even before we found their texts, we had reference to a lot of these names right. before we ever read what they wrote. Right. They're, they're quoted often um, in, in centuries after they lived uh, precisely because of the esteem with which they were held by, by the following generations. Exactly. And so, you know, if it's good enough for the fourth generation of Christians— it's good enough for the 21st yeah yeah so so it, oftentimes as, as you said father it's it, it's not a formal uh title there's no there's no definitive list um like that, the doctors of the church to which there is a formal title. exactly right um and, but but it, so it's sort of something that has i, I think maybe it reminds me a little bit of how Early on, there wasn't a formal canon or a formal process of canonization, formal process right. by which somebody became a saint. So, so there are people uh, from the early centuries who were very quickly judged to be of heroic virtue, uh, who who were who were given the title of saint, uh, even though they didn't hadn't gone through because it hadn't been developed yet. They hadn't gone through the more rigorous process for canonization that that we've had for several centuries now. Um, so maybe that you know today we do have this 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 step-by-step process that you have to go through to be canonized back in the day you didn't so early on it was more informal today it's become formalized so too to be an early church fathers was sort of an informal thing um as with as with becoming a saint receiving that title something that uh, didn't happen till you until you had passed away right so i think maybe just another little like uh i just thought another way just to think about why they're honored and, and, and why we honor them now with a title like fathers and things like that is that the, the, these writings of theirs, you know, to think about the fact that their writings weren't uh, protected or preserved by anything else than people hand copying them. Right, right. Yeah. So the early Christians found them to be esteemable. Yes, yes, exactly. Because the, the, that's something we just take for granted because we've had the printing press for centuries now but um if 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 people took the time many people took the time to make many copies then maybe it's worth us looking at a little bit more closely you got it so why how do we classify certain things as church fathers yeah so oftentimes again because this sort of an informal thing but there does seem to be you know looking back on 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 the individuals who we who we give this title to um scholars have have sort of seen four different characteristics um that that are employed uh, as we apply the title to early christian leaders uh, and those four characteristics are antiquity holiness orthodoxy, and church approval. So, Father, should we just go through each of them and, and expand on them a bit? Antiquity means that they got to have a lot of lace, uh, lace doilies. <laughs> no? Um, I don't think... Well, maybe they did have lace doilies. doilies. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. no, antiquity just means to be to be old. Right, right. So early church. So specifically, and again, because there's not, uh, it's not a formal thing, but roughly we're talking about from the late first, early second century up into the eighth century. We don't really, there's nobody uh, that I know of from the ninth century uh, who's given that, that title of doctor of the church. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty broad, I mean, it's 600 years, 700 years we're talking about, but that's the span of time um, that encompasses 
the other individuals that that we refer to with this title. But again, the eighth century was a little while ago. So so it goes <laughs> pointing back to the 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 first millennium of Christian existence, um, the, the first centuries in a particular way. So antiquity, antiquity, holiness. You, you're an expert on this. <laughs> All about what I've seen in you. <laughs> Um, holiness, of course, means uh, conformity to the life of Christ. Right, right. So we referred, we were just talking a moment ago about um, the process of canonization, people who live lives of heroic virtue. So by and large, but this doesn't apply in every instance, by and large, most of the early church fathers um, were very holy people. Uh, they, they, as you said, lived lives um, following the example of Jesus Christ. Again, though, not all of them were, that's not necessarily the case. Not every church father is a saint. And in some cases, it's because they, they didn't necessarily live that life of heroic virtue. Right. And not every saint is a church father. Right, we, great. Yeah, that's another great point. Right. Orthodoxy, Father. What? What? We use that term uh, kind of a lot, but you know, I, I think oftentimes, you know, it's, it's the curse of knowledge. It's hard to 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 forget that maybe not everybody's heard or uses these words on a regular basis. So, what do we mean by orthodoxy? So, orthodoxy is uh, the qualitative judgment of. Uh, the teaching of their faith that it corresponds that there's nothing contrary to the deposit of faith in what they teach. So everything they they well not everything, by and large what they taught was in accord with the teachings of Jesus Christ as it was handed down throughout the centuries. Right. So again, so sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and so we just want to. So a church father then is known for the fact that what they teach corresponds. To, uh, to what was taught, um, to what is taught by the church uh, uh, throughout time. And, and this is another, just like holiness, you, you'll find some exceptions to this. Not everything that every father said uh, was nece necessarily orthodox. A lot of, you know, again, it's the early centuries. It's like when a, um, a, a, a plant uh, in a, in a, uh, is initially growing. It takes time for it to grow. So early on, there was a lot of wrangling with some of the fundamental questions of how God is Trinity, Triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Was it, what does it mean to say that Jesus is God and man? Um, so there was a lot of wrangling, and, and we some find some of the early writers of, of Christianity, some of the early church fathers who were wrestling with this, who maybe now we can see in hindsight, um, didn't always get it exactly right. Origen uh, is, is, is a figure that comes to my mind, a uh, brilliant man from, from Alexandria and Egypt in, I think, the second century, um, maybe the third century, but early on, wrote a ton, quoted a lot by all sorts of people, but he's not a father because some of his, among other reasons, some of his views, or no, he's not a saint, sorry. Uh, he is a father, but not a saint, because some of his views um, we, we recognize um, are, are not orthodox. Not all of them. He's considered a father, but he, had, he did have some shaky ideas. So that's an example where um, it's not, you know, it's not a, a complete stamp of approval. This person's called a father, therefore you can read everything he says and trust that it's orthodox. That's not always the case. Right, and just even thinking, like some people might even like when you even just think about the idea of church fathers, 
some people, this might begin kind of to quibbles, but some people might even, you know, say, well, you know, I don't know if I think that so-and-so is a church father. It's kind of something that's open even for debate in that way. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Yep. But of course, there are some that are more universally agreed. And those are the ones that we'll kind of, I think, eventually get to and talk a little more about. Right. And that, and, and, and the final related to both of these two things is, is they, they're given some church approval. Again, there's no formal process, but they're generally regarded um, as fathers in some way by, by the magisterium, by the pope and the bishops who are in union with them. Um, and Father, maybe that would be... Uh, just to, to touch briefly on that, the relationship between the fathers um, and the magisterium. Uh, again, the magisterium is the word, that the, the technical term we use to refer to the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, and all of those bishops in the world who are in union with him. Um, this is the word means teaching office. So when we talk about the magisterium, we mean the bishops of the church together with the Pope um, teaching the teachings of Jesus Christ, handing on what what they received ultimately from the apostles who received it from Christ himself. So the fathers, many of them were, were bishops themselves, and so they belonged to the magisterium. Uh, but but we have to be careful about not, and this relates to the what we we're just saying with orthodoxy, we, we can't um, put that... Um, Put them at odds with one another, and we certainly can't use uh, any any writing of the of the fathers to trump a teaching of the magisterium. Right, and uh, so the magisterium is the judge of the orthodoxy, the fruitfulness of the fathers in that way. Right, right, right. So we we always and again the magisterium itself will often point to the the writings of the fathers, but but it's it's in the the pope and the bishops in union with him that Christ's spirit is working to ensure that it's his teachings passed on, and it's not necessarily the case that just because somebody's ancient, um, and from from antiquity that their writings are necessarily orthodox, and and we can't use them to trump the magisterium. Uh, what's next, Father? Well, uh, with that in, in mind, kind of, kind of, who are the fathers? Let's just maybe talk about some differences between some of the fathers in general. Okay. So, um, one thing you'll find is that there's kind of maybe two language classes to the fathers. Uh, for the most part, there's what we call Greek fathers and Latin fathers. Uh, Greek fathers are ones who wrote in Greek. <laughs> Latin fathers are ones who wrote in Latin. Oh, I, I was stumped. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough quiz, tough quiz. Um, but so, and 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 with that, they you know they might have different emphases. Uh, uh, their writing is often local, in a sense, local to their own questions, their own concerns. Uh, although some do write in a more universal way right. sure. uh, of concerns of all Christians. Um, but yeah, so so the Greek and Latin difference um, would be would be one uh, difference. I think, you know, and just to the point that you made there, I think it's worth just touching on again, um, the reason they wrote. Oftentimes, because many of them were pastors, um, they were writing uh, for, for various concerns that were affecting their flocks. Um, you know, one, one of the great early church fathers is St. Augustine, uh, who lived in the 4th and 5th century. And and so much of what he wrote, so many of his, his writings, were directed at things that were, were going on that were affecting doctrinal issues, doctrinal debates that were being had in his time and that were affecting 
um, the, the, the people that he was, that he was serving. Uh, at the same time, he also wrote things more universally, just reflecting, um, uh, writing about basic church teachings, not because they were necessarily being challenged, but just reflecting on them for their own sake, doing, yeah, theology just in that more objective sense as well. Right. Um, whereas, I mean, like some of Augustine's works or some others, you know, they're more universal topics. The City of God, uh, De Trinitate. Exactly. Uh, on the Holy Trinity. But uh, others, it's a homily on a certain occasion or it's um, things like that. So, like, so some of the fathers are more um, kind of pastoral in that way. Some are more universal author uh, writings. Right. Then there's a chronological division to them that often be spoken of. Um, you can have like the apostolic fathers writing uh, immediately after the time of the apostles. Uh, and then you could have the Antonician fathers, uh, the ones who wrote uh, before Nicaea, before the Council of Nicaea in 325. You can have post-Nicaean fathers uh, after Nicaea. There's some other distinctions you can go into. Do you have some more of those? No, I think that's sort of, um, you know, as you and I were talking before uh, we recorded, that sort of the fundamental distinction between before Nicaea and after Nicaea being a real watershed because it was the first ecumenical council and that fundamental question of God as triune and Christ as as divine um, was 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 addressed in a definitive way there that sort of served as a, a turning point in a, what a lot of the fathers were writing about how they wrote um, about various issues. And so there's, you know, oftentimes scholars of, of the early church fathers will have that as the fundamental distinction. So I, I don't really have any other, any other distinctions that come to my mind that way. Uh, no, not as far as like the age or the era in which they wrote. Yep. Um, all right. So... Now we get to the fun stuff. Yes. The writings. The writings themselves. Yeah. yeah. So, so as who, you who, who, who's no. your favorite? Who, who boy, who's my favorite? Yeah, pick one. Um, Five. You know four, what? You, uh, <laughs> you, you, you've got, you, Father put a few down on, on our working document. The first one that you listed is, is, is one of, one of my favorites. That's it's St. Ignatius of Antioch. Um, one we've already referred to, St. Augustine is probably, is, is definitely in that list as well. Um, but I think those are, I those are two one. of my favorites. What's that? I said pick one. Oh, you pick I can't. Two. I can't. That's like asking me to pick which, which one of my five children is my favorite. I can't do it. No, it's not. These aren't your children. <laughs> it's like it. Like. St. Ignatius and St. Augustine don't care which one you pick over the other. I'll go with Augustine. Okay. Why? Um, because he was doing theology, but as we were just saying, his example were so often, he wasn't doing theology in a vacuum or in a bubble, because, but because it was directly relevant to the lives of his people. So, so a lot of what he wrote, as we were saying earlier, was because it, it mattered to, to the spiritual well-being of, of his yeah. people. And so the showing the relevance of theology, that it's not just pie in the sky, that sort of thing, um, that's probably why I, I, I might go with him. Okay. You? That's a good answer. You? Um, you know, uh, I, I might be tempted to say St. Ignatius of Antioch just because he wrote so early. Yeah. I mean, he's writing around like 105 AD, and, and the occasion for his writings are pretty uh, spectacular. He wrote about, was it five or six, maybe seven, seven letters? Seven letters. 
seven letters, he wrote seven letters as he was arrested and then taken in custody from Antioch in, uh, in Syria all the way to Rome where he was to be fed to the animals in the circus. Right. And as he's going on his way, he's writing to Christian churches uh, that they, he goes through or he encounters along the way or even one uh, one fellow bishop. And so it's a very heartfelt, endearing uh, uh, writings. And from like 105 AD. Right, right. Yeah. And we and we have... But he's, the, not, but he's not my favorite. Oh, who is your favorite? Yeah. But did you have a question on him? Well, just the fact that in those seven letters, we have copies of them. They can be read. In fact, that's one of our recommendations, isn't it? I mean, his seven letters, they're not that long. You can find them oh. on the internet. Read them. They're beautiful. Yep. Yep. Some of them are even like, uh, some of them are sourced in some Catholic sites. Some are even sourced on, on Wikipedia, like the, like the wiki source where they like, you know, where they have, they have government secrets and they have church fathers. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, I was reading there... Uh, on Monday, the uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Yep, uh, who was a bishop uh, in Smyrna. Yep, and uh, and uh, in the early, uh, probably early uh, uh, in the one hundreds, maybe the two hundreds. And but I think my favorite yeah. is Saint John Chrysostom. Oh, golden tongue. Yes, a preacher extraordinaire. Yep. Yeah, and and most of his writings are all homilies. Yeah. They're not like abstract theology. Like, I want to sit down. I want to tackle the problem of uh, of this. No, I just like his writings yeah. I mean, because they're, they're, they're homilies. One day, and I think, don't you put recordings of your homilies online, Father? I do. I do. One day, Father. One day. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. And so. I loved St. Andrew Dickinson and his homilies that we, <laughs> no. Okay. Long way to go. So who else, Father, we got about a minute and a half to go. Who else would you recommend that we read? Well, um, St. Justin Martyr. Yeah. Uh, who wrote an apology. And he's probably, gosh, late 100s, early 200s. Yeah, 150. He wrote around 150. Yep. Around 150. Okay. And so he wrote an apology. So he was he was raised like in the classical pagan Greek uh, Roman intellectual tradition, and he abandons it for the f- Christian faith. And so he writes an explanation why. So it's called an apologia, an apology, an explanation. Exactly. Um, so he's great. Um, some of like uh, Pope St. Leo the Great. Yep. He's pretty awesome. Um, well, some other of the Greek fathers are pretty good too, like Melitio of, is it Melitio of Sardis? Yep. You had yep. mentioned Athanasius. I think he's a great one to read. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Athanasius writes one of the first biographies of another saint. Yes. Wrote His a life of Anthony. Yeah. Who started, basically started monasticism, Anthony did. Right. In like the first like 100 some years after the death, well, no, I guess it was more like 200 years after the death of Christ. Exactly. But. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Athanasius is great in that way. Yeah. Um, and especially, again, especially that biography of, of Anthony, because it's here's one saint writing about another saint. Yep. Yep. And there's so many more. And Father, we're, we're, we're working on show notes, something to have available. And, and maybe when that's full blown, we'll, we'll have them there. But for now, we're going to have to wrap up this episode of Ignition. Email us, ignition at SF, sfcatholic.org, with any questions you might have for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find archives of this and past episodes online at sfcatholic.org. 
Click on Media and then Audio Files. You can also subscribe to the Ignition Podcast in the iTunes Store. Remember to tune in every Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock on Lamb Catholic Radio on 91.3 FM in Hartford and Sioux Falls and on 88.9 FM in Ipswich and Aberdeen or online at lambradio.com.